Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Andrea Jansen is the founder of Ambition Theory, a professional coaching and leadership development company focused on accelerating women in the construction industry into leadership positions. She is a certified executive coach, MBA, and the host of the Ambition Theory podcast. Andrea is also a Forbes contributor and a top-rated speaker. She is passionate about coaching women in construction to develop themselves, set leadership goals, and get results. Since 2018, Andrea has coached and trained over 1,200 construction professionals. Before becoming a coach, Andrea was a marketing leader that worked on some of the world's best-known brands. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Andrea. Oh, Emily, thank you so much for having me and giving me this opportunity. Well, we met, Andrea, because your company, Ambition Theory, is holding an online leadership course, and you reached out to Juno Jones to be a sponsor, and I cannot believe the match made in heaven between you know our two organizations and our audience is really the same. It's women in these male-populated industries like construction who you know have this ambition and want to move forward in their careers, and obviously coaching would be an amazing contribution to helping that happen. So it's like a match made in heaven for our audience. It 100% is, especially because, well, we have a unit in our course about imposter syndrome. Uh And we actually had to change it over the past year because there's new research about imposter syndrome. And having PPE, having clothing and safety clothing that fits was a really, really important piece. And I thought, what kind of companies are helping deal with this? And Junior Jones, I'm like, they are totally contributing to that sense of belonging on a construction site. And that's why I was so excited when you said yes, that you would sponsor our course. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I So this is like our whole mission, like as you know, but let's start with hearing your origin story. I want to know how you even got involved in the construction industry. So it goes back like pretty far back. So I was, when I started my career, I was not in construction, which a lot of women don't actually start in construction. They kind of end up in the industry later on. So I did not start in construction. I started in marketing, but I was very motivated. So anytime I was ready for the next level, I would ask for it in my company, or if they weren't going to give it to me, I would go and find a new job. And that was kind of my strategy for my career. And I'd always wanted to become an entrepreneur. Uh And so when I was on one of my maternity leave, I got into coaching. So I just was helping people with their resumes, you know, help them with a job interview. And I was doing that for free. And people would come to my house, they'd be like, can you help me with my resume? I'd be like, okay, hold the baby. I'll help you. Like, I'll ask you some (laughs) questions. And they would tell friends and then they would tell other friends. And it came to the point when someone was at my house holding my baby, I was helping them with their job search almost every single week. And one person said, Andrea, you're really good at this. You should make this your job. Like you should start a business. So I started it as a side hustle. It was not called ambition theory at the time. It was really about helping people, you know, find a new job. And then I decided I have three kids. So on the second Mm -hmm. maternity leave, I was like, always wanted to be this entrepreneur. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Like, I'm not going to go back to work 
after this maternity leave. And kind of, so I went to coaching school then. So I decided I I need something to legitimize myself. I need some sort of certification to make this a business. So I went to coaching school and I learned it's so much more than getting a job because that's really transactional, right? That's just a one step. That's the next step. Coaching is really about helping people see their bigger picture and opening up this like ambition that exists inside of them and help them really focus that on where they want to go and figuring out what the steps they need to take to make it happen. So that's kind of how I got into coaching. And when you start a new business, you're a business owner, so you know this. People are like, go out and talk about yourself, speak at conferences, Uh you have to promote your business. And my husband works in construction. And he had said, he saw like a conference that his company was sending women to was the groundbreaking women in construction conference Mm -hmm. put out by the engineering news record. And this was in 2018. And he's like, you should submit your name for this conference. And I'm like, okay. So I went to the website and I was looking at the speakers and they, you know, they already had the speakers set and I was like really interested in what they were learning. But then there was this one spot on a Tuesday afternoon and it said TBD. And so I said, okay, uh-huh. I gotta, you know, I gotta put myself out That's there. That's me, TBD. <laughs> totally. It was me. So I cold called the conference and I said, like, do you need someone that can talk about this idea of ambition, this idea that, you know what, there are big elephants that are holding women yeah. back from getting to those higher leadership levels. And I can come in and talk about those elephants and I could share some strategies about how we can overcome them. And they said, yes. So I'd never actually been a speaker before at a conference, but I went to, and this was a big deal. I was living in Halifax, which is the uh-huh. east coast of Canada. And this conference was in San Francisco. So, and they didn't pay for me to go. Like I had to pay for myself to go. So I went to the conference and I wasn't the main speaker. I was this little tiny breakout room with 50 chairs. Mm-hmm. And I remember going like 20 minutes before my talk and they, the room was full. And I thought, you know what, those are the people for the talk before mine um, <laughs> leave and then my people will come and I'll be ready to go ahead handouts like everything planned and none of the people left and then all <laughs> these other people came and it was to the point where they were sitting on the floor the organizers had opened the door in the back and like put chairs in the hallway and at that moment I was like I think I found my people like I think yeah. I found these people that I can connect with. And so it's interesting. So that was kind of my first experience in the construction industry. And I ended up getting clients for my coaching Uh business through that speaking engagement. But my focus was still on women in leadership. So I was still doing coaching for anybody, actually, even men too. Like Mm -hmm. at that point, the business was so new. You work with any client really at that point. But over the years, it got to the point where like 70% of the participants were from the construction industry and they were women. And there'd, you know, be one person from healthcare, one person from banking in the course. And they were learning from each other. But But I was always scared to say this is for women in construction, probably dealing with my own imposter syndrome at the time. And I kind of was hesitant to, you know, put the sign on the door that said this is a company exclusively for women in construction. And so around the time of COVID, really at the beginning of COVID, I just thought, like, what if we went all in? Like, what if we spent all of our energy learning more about these clients, taking everything that we've learned, like we've coached right now like upwards of 1200 people, what if we took all of that and laser focused it on accelerating the path to leadership for women in that industry and making it all about them? And so we did that. And it's been 
probably is the best, probably professional decision I've ever made is kind of being in this industry because the people I've got to meet are incredible. Like the opportunity is huge. The opportunity is huge. And the need is there. This really interesting kind of experience. I think at the beginning, when I started, companies would work with us and they do it because it's the right thing to do. Like maybe the someone on the leadership team had a daughter or maybe uh-huh. they were hearing about women in the workplace or like, we should do things because it's the right thing to do. But now with the talent shortage, it's become like, oh yeah, we need to do something right now. And there's this huge group of people that have so much to give, so many skills that they can contribute. Let's, we'll talk about the talent shortage because I know that you've got a lot of expertise in this area. So yeah. I, I definitely want to ask you about that. Yeah. So can we back up a little bit? First of all, I just, I need to hear how that talk went, that first talk with the 50 people in the room and then more came. I mean, did you kill it? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Like, I'm still here today. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It was really like, I was nervous. Like I was really nervous. I didn't expect that many people to show up, but like, absolutely. People were asking me questions questions after. Uh-huh. And it really gave me this opportunity to like test our core coaching exercise, which mm-hmm. we do now. And it actually didn't go that well <laughs> during that talk. So oh, the exercise? Yeah, the exercise. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it is. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. So it's really the core of ambition theory. It's what drives your ambition. So figuring out what is important to you. Like what are the things uh-huh. that make you thrive? What are the things that make you excited? And usually we'll have a volunteer. So it's very interactive. So this woman comes up and I'm asking her questions like, tell me about a day when you were thriving professionally, like you loved what you're doing, you felt really confident. And she's like, I've never felt that way professionally. I'm like, oh, this has never happened before. <laughs> like I thought she'd, you know, tell me a story and I could do this coaching exercise. Yeah. And she hadn't been thriving. She was probably like four or five years into her career, never felt like she liked what she was doing. I said, okay, well, we got to go back. So this exercise, I knew how to do the exercise. You got to stay curious. We go back to school. So it's like, what did you like doing at school? And she's Mm -hmm. told me this story, but when she was in this robotics competition and I asked her, I said, what about it? She's like, well, I was collaborating with people. I was solving a problem. Mm -hmm. There was this big competition at the end where we had to race the robots and there was a winner. I'm like, okay, I think what you need to be successful, you need collaboration, you need to be working with people and you need some kind of outcome. You need to be able to see the end so that that kind of keeps your fuel going. And so for her, like I asked her, what's going on in your work today? And she said, I work by myself mm-hmm. on a huge long-term project. Like the end is like five years away. Oh my gosh. And it was simply that like the things she needed to be successful weren't there in her role. And People always think like, okay, now you need to find a new job, quit, go somewhere else, but it doesn't have to be that way. So for her, it's like, you just need to let your manager know that you need to be aware of the outcomes and you need to collaborate with people. So is there an opportunity for you to be involved in a meeting where you can see the big picture? And is there an opportunity for you to collaborate with a few other people on the team? And really that's all you need to increase that engagement, increase that motivation and get that joy. Would would like a good manager recognize this in the employees and sort of try to, you know, anticipate it and and assign them jobs that are going to motivate them? Or is that really the person, the job holder's responsibility? I think it's up to both, like, because we're humans, right? So it's really hard to say, like, who is responsible for whose fulfillment. So I think like a really great manager would be able to do that. But the hard thing is most people can't articulate 
what they need. Most people can't articulate on their own what drives your ambition. So for managers, it's like, it's like holding back a little bit and being curious and being like, what about this person makes them tick? Like, how can I ask them questions to figure out what gets them excited? And then as a manager, you have more view of opportunities in the organization than that employee does. So you can be creative and think, how can I fuel that? How can I find something that's going to light their fire and get them excited? And then from an employee's perspective, it's like doing that self-reflection and letting your manager know. So I feel like the best outcome is when both are kind of doing that beautiful dance where the employee knows what they need to be successful and the manager knows exactly like what that is and they can look for those opportunities. Interesting. So, okay. In that room, when you were giving the speech and, you know, you said that the exercise didn't go quite as you had planned. So what, what part of it didn't go as planned? I was expecting her to have a story right away that talked about when she was thriving at work. Like I'd never, I was still really early in my coaching career. So most people would Mm -hmm. be able to say that something, you know, they'd be able to come up with an example of something good that had happened to them. And this was the first time someone had like, I've never, I've heard that this person's never felt like they were thriving in a professional situation. So you just dug back farther and farther until you found something. Yeah. And that's oh, the they- cool thing about it. It's like, yeah. we always think like, I am like the professional Emily and this is the, <laughs> the, the personal Emily. Like you're just one Emily. So like the yeah. things that make you take are like the things that are going to motivate you at home and the things that are going to motivate you at work. Oh, interesting. Okay. So apparently this worked. The audience got it. They understood and this just did this like get incorporated into your course? Yeah. So it's incorporated into every single course, every single co- coaching engagement that we do. Everything starts with what drives your ambition. Because once I know that, once we know that, we can really help people focus to keep that motivation going. Because the definition of ambition, so why we call the company ambition theory, is the desire to achieve something typically requiring determination and hard work. And where people get burnt out or not engaged or not excited about what they're doing is when they can't define that something. So if I know as a coach what motivates you, I can help you like bake that into your plan. So you're getting that fulfillment every single day as you're working towards that big goal because things are going to get hard. And when it does get hard, if you don't have that bigger vision, it's really easy to give up and want to quit. Well, so your course is happening right now, right? Yeah, we have the courses running right now. And so can you tell us a little bit more about the actual course? How, like what topics, how does, first of all, how does the course work? Do people log in online and how long does it go for? So we have two ways that we work with people. Mm -hmm. So the first one is our leadership foundations course, which we, it used to be a workshop, but we found that women in construction with the talent shortage, they're working, the demands are just so high that people couldn't take the day out of the office. Then we did it on Zoom over like three hours over two days. But people were so distracted in that idea that, you know, I need to stop doing my work and I'm going to be so behind. That was Mm -hmm. just, we felt it in our clients. Like we're like, we don't want them to be stressed when they're taking our courses to be exciting. So we switched it to our Leadership Foundations courses for weeks. And what who that's for is for people who are at any level. So leadership, we believe you don't have to have like four people reporting to you to be a leader. Mm -hmm. So that course is specifically for people who are exploring what leadership means to them 
them? What kind of leader do they want to be? Where do they want to go in their career? So that's where we start with people. And that one's four weeks. And we we talk about really the same concepts in, in everything that we do. So we talk about figuring out what drives your ambition. We talk about really the challenges and the unconscious bias that women face in the construction industry, which is, I think the thing that makes our course really different than than other leadership courses in that women face a double bind. So this idea that women are supposed to be in society socialized a certain way, like supposed to be caring and nurturing, whereas leaders in society are supposed to be confident and demanding. Um, But if women actually act super confident and super demanding, they actually come across as aggressive and Mm -hmm. then that rubs people the wrong way. So that actually prevents them from rising into that leadership position because they're not getting that good feedback. Well, that's the whole, it's not the whole like Hillary Clinton criticism. Totally. Yes, totally. Like Hillary Clinton, when she's showing up as kind of like all the other politicians who are men, people like, oh, she's not a nice woman. And it happens unconsciously. Like it happens in your mind. Like you don't actually even realize that you're doing this. It's just because we've been socialized that way. So what we do is we call it calling it the elephant. So we just say, you know what, this exists. Like this is a thing that is happening. These are some of these reasons why women aren't rising to leadership at the same rate as men. It's nobody's fault. Most of it is unconscious. Most of us, we don't even realize we're doing it. Women do it. Men do it. It's nobody's fault. We're not pointing the finger. We're not blaming anybody. But the empowering piece is now that we know this, what can we do? Because there's tons of research that has like specific things that you can do that will actually help you to overcome these barriers so that you actually can rise to leadership at the same rate as men. So that's really the big piece is helping people figure out where they want to go, helping them come up with a plan, and then layering in the fact that you can't do the, if you did the exact same steps that a man in the construction industry would do, you're not going to go at the same rate. You actually might even get a little bit of backlash and it might slow you down a little bit. So here- Isn't that crazy? I know. It is crazy. That is crazy. crazy. I mean, it makes complete sense. And I think on some level, we're all completely aware of it. But when you put it, when you just lay it out like that <laughs> mm-hmm. and just state it like that, and this is a fact and this we have this is what we have to deal with. So therefore, this is why, I mean, sometimes you hear men in the industry say things like, why do you need this women's organization? You know, why do you even need, you know, this identity group? Well, this is why, because we face different issues. Yeah. The other really interesting thing, the other, we kind of have these big pillars that we kind of teach across everything that we do in that men and women lead differently. Uh And the construction industry, because it is so male dominant. So in the US, it's about 11% of the whole industry is women. In Canada, Uh it's 13%. So we teach this leadership model called like the transactional versus transformational. And we've been teaching it. I think we've always been teaching this, but we've never used this language. And I know you're a linguistics expert. And I came across this way. Yeah, you're like a ling- linguistics. Piece. I am a linguistics nerd. Nerd, okay. <laughs> not an I would not say expert. I did study it a little bit, but I don't have like a. That's not what my graduate degree is in. <laughs> okay, linguistics. Okay, so you might appreciate this. So I think like we were teaching this for like five years, but last fall like we've discovered this model and just the way of talking about it. So we've been teaching mm-hmm. this the same way, but I don't think I ever had the words to describe it properly until 
I discovered the transactional versus transformational leadership model. And mm-hmm. transactional, it, and it's a spectrum, and one is not better than the other. They're just different. Transactional is that top-down approach, right? So the manager's job is to delegate, supervise, give feedback, tell people what to do, manage the project. If someone's doing a good job, you tell them. Someone's doing a bad job, you course correct, you tell them how to fix it. Whereas the other side of the spectrum is transformational. And that is where you're kind of leveraging people's strengths, holding them to that higher standard, sharing a big vision and inviting them to contribute. And the research says that women naturally veer towards that transformational side, whereas men naturally veer towards the transactional side. And in construction, because if you think of like the top of most construction companies, it's heavily with men and their dominant leadership behaviors are on that transactional side of the spectrum. So that's what's reinforced in the culture. And those are the behaviors that are on performance review systems. Those are the behaviors that people are looking for when they're looking for that next leader, this ability to set a vision, this ability to hold people to a higher standard, help them discover their strengths, which we talked about earlier, like help them really look at that person. How can I leverage that person on my team? They're not necessarily on traditional performance review systems because just the dominant person in the industry is men. So that's another reason why women don't rise at the same level. So in our courses, we really help people to see like, this is a different leadership model. So really, you need to understand what your strengths are. And then when you know what your strengths are, you can go out to your company and help other people find out what their strengths are. And you can build a team around their strengths. And then you have this super high performing team where everybody's leaning into their strengths and you Mm -hmm. get so much more out of it because in in construction, what is not better than the other? So you definitely need the transactional skills for project management, managing budget, all of those things. You need to keep people on deadline, but something always goes wrong. So when something goes wrong, it's like leaning into those transformational skills. You get so much more out of it because when there's a problem, if you take it from a transactional side of the spectrum, it's like you as the leader, you're 100% responsible because so you got to delegate all the tasks. Whereas if you're a transformational leader, you can say, hey, this is the problem. And you can invite people to contribute to the solution. So a lot of times we talk about, you know, feminine leadership and skills and, you know, quote unquote, feminine leadership skills and how they're just as valuable in the workplace. So you're actually saying, though, that it's codified in the performance reviews that specific like these male traits these male leadership traits are in there and it's like check it's like checking off the box if you have them or don't but the feminine quote-unquote feminine leadership skills just the softer skills are not in there so they're not even on the list so how do we even begin to solve that problem so I think what's really interesting, so we redid our curriculum for this course last year, and I think it's really the awareness. So mm-hmm. really understanding this model and inviting people to understand their own strengths. So something really interesting happened with one of our clients. She came on our podcast and she told me this story and she said, I got some feedback from, and this is literally like how it plays out, how it happens. I think we need to share more stories. I think we need to bring more awareness to the fact that there's different leadership. Everyone has a different leadership style and Mm -hmm. you can carve out a place for them in the company and they bring different things to the table. So this person, what she said is she said, I just got some feedback from one of my direct reports and he said, you are inspiring me. You 
kind of hold me to a higher standard. You help me get better at the things that I'm good at already. I love the vibe that we're having on our team. So I think right now it's almost like the perfect storm in that companies are really thinking about retention. And mm-hmm. if you can get employees to say things like that, like I'm so inspired by my manager, they're helping me get better. That employee is probably going to stay there for a while because they're getting that intrinsic engagement. It's not just about the paycheck every day. So mm-hmm. really, I think sharing stories like that and offering a different perspective. So we invited for Women in Construction Week. So in March, we decided that we're going to open this up to men and women. So we had quite a few men attend. And it was interesting what they said. And I think like they haven't been exposed to this either. So when we talked about that double bind, so women kind of being confident versus nurturing, a lot of these men just, they'd never heard that concept, Brett Ford. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. Like they just didn't know because no one told them. Right. And someone else said, and this is a senior leader at a really big company. They said, thank you for sharing this. Like without events like this, like we just don't know. We're going in blind. Like I think that there's just not enough conversation and the awareness is not really there yet. But the exciting thing is I did talk to some HR professionals about this because we were putting this course on. We're going to do a big launch. I wanted to make sure the curriculum was, you know, where we needed to go. And I asked Mm -hmm. them, I said, like, is this right? Like, are you measuring these transformational leadership skills on your performance management systems? And most of them said, no, we're not. But one big company said, we know that we're not. And we're working on how do we actually measure this? So. I think it's changing slowly, but we're not having these conversations. There's not really examples of transformational leaders a lot in the construction industry. So we don't have those stories. We don't have that role model that you can emulate to see that behavior. Oh my gosh, this is, this is really going to be a breakthrough. Once is more well-known, I think, because it could really change leadership, whole leadership systems at companies. Do you think this is the responsibility of DEI? the DEI departments? I would say they could support, but for the, it's a cultural shift, right? It's a really culture shift. And like this idea that we're not actually going to tell you what to do. And and the thing is, we sometimes need to tell people what to do, right? It's just realizing that in some situations, like leaning towards that transformational side and recognizing that everybody brings a different strength to the table, and they Mm -hmm. can contribute in a different way than others. I think it really needs to come from the top. Yeah. It really needs to come from the top, this shift. Yeah. The culture and the, comes from the top and that's a huge part of it. All right. I know we, I promised we were going to talk about the, the worker shortage and I definitely want to get to that because <laughs> this is really where it all meets, right? Where everything mm-hmm. meets in the middle because we have, you know, all these, so many women who are looking for new careers and looking to advance in their careers within these male populated industries. And then we have this worker shortage. Like I come from the trucking industry. We have a truck driving shortage and there's tons of women out there who need jobs. And it's a great industry for women in a lot of ways, or we're trying to help make it a better industry for women in other ways. So, and then I know this, this also is very true with construction. So let's talk about that. You're from Canada. Yeah. First of all, is it about the same situation in the U.S. and Can- Canada? Because yeah. you're in Denver now, right? I'm in Denver. So I'm Canadian. I used to live in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I just moved to Denver. So it, it's pretty similar, but I would say in the U.S., the legislation from my observation, is a little bit more advanced. Like with government projects, there's those diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives like mm-hmm. on the government project. They have them in Canada. They have them in the U.S. But I'm not sure 
how they're enforcing them in Canada. So I feel like there might be a little bit more policy in place in the US, but things are pretty similar. Okay. So things are pretty similar. Do you think women are the answer to the worker shortages in the US and Canada? I Absolutely. Yeah. They're totally an untapped resource. And I think it's this point, I talked about it earlier, but this critical point where before it was like women in construction, great, we'll do this because it's the right thing to do. Um, it's good for social change. But the reality is construction companies are for-profit businesses. And now actually the profitability of the business is are at stake because there's so yeah. much work in construction. There's so much work and not enough people to do mm-hmm. the work. Whereas before it was like, how are we going to get the work was the stressor. And now yeah. the stress is how are we actually going to get enough people to build this project? Because we might be in a few years down in the place where we actually have to turn work down because we don't have the resources to deliver. And that is a huge risk. And uh-huh. I think that opens up the door to leveraging women because and the other, the other thing I do want to say is a lot of like, I feel like in the DE&I space now, we're all about labeling, right? It's like women, indigenous, people of uh-huh. color. But when you kind of open up, take this transformational leadership approach, it's really looking at diversity and inclusion from a higher level, right? Like, what are the strengths of these people? And if you open up people's minds to, you know, the fact that other people bring different strengths and perspective, it kind of opens that floodgates for everybody. It really Mm -hmm. helps everybody else. But specifically for women, I think if you think about the talent shortage specifically, and this is what women can bring to the table because they naturally have those transformational skills already, is you think about literally like you have to build a project. Most employees need to give like 110, 120%. That's expected of them because there's just so much work and not enough people. But if you think about the motivation, right? If you're being delegated more, if you're being told to do more, you've been told to, you know, stay three hours late, I need you to check these 10 more things off of your to-do list. Think about employee engagement. They're likely going to get burnt out from that perspective. Whereas if you leverage those transformational leadership skills that women bring to the table, it's about inviting people into the challenge. Like, how can we build this project with less hours? What kind Mm -hmm. of strengths do we need to make this happen? It's a completely different perspective. And when someone invites you to rise to the challenge, you're happy to work 10, 12 hours if you have to. But if someone's there kind of telling you that you need to stay there for 12 hours, it's a different mindset and it's different level of energy. And it really, one way, really improves retention. And the other way kind of burns people out and makes them not want to work there anymore. Are the companies realizing this connection between the worker shortage and women, you know, not being welcome into the industry as much as they should be? Is this connection being made in some of the big companies? I think it is. Absolutely. So a lot of big companies have women's initiatives. A lot of them have, have a ton of things, but I've noticed a lot of them focus on recruitment. So they focus really on, you know, a lot of women that I know they're involved in school, they're involved in the community colleges, universities, like really going at that point to recruit women Mm -hmm. into the industry, which is absolutely needed because that's thinking like five, 10 years down the road. But where I see like a really 
big untapped potential is women that are already working in the company. So there's these women that have like 15, 20 years experience and they're there and they're not actually rising to that VP level, that director level, because the system is not there to support them. You know, the performance review systems are looking for those delegation skills. Can they give feedback? Can they manage a budget? Those are really the skills that they're being evaluated on, but they're not really being evaluated on this ability that they could motivate people in a different way. They could create this culture where people are leveraging their strengths more. They're not, I feel like that's really the untapped potential right now. Do you think also there is a stigma of, you know, coming up through office work on some of these like traditionally like pink collar type jobs, maybe secretaries, paralegal, I don't know, and assistants, things like that. I don't know, in a lot of industries, you enter the industry at a, a lower level, but maybe women are getting more funneled toward the behind the desk type assistant type jobs is and then are they kind of like, do they get stuck there because of that stigma? And it's hard or harder for them to advance from within? A hundred percent. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, a hundred percent that happens. Like there's people that come in through like accounting or HR, which there's a lot of women, like some construction companies, it's like, 90 or 95% of the HR department is all women, whereas like the rest of the company is like 90% men. So absolutely. And I think it's it goes down to this assumption that we have of what does it take to be successful as a leader, right? So yeah. someone starting right out from school, the doors open, right? Like two people can come in with the same college diploma or college university degree, and women and women can both, you know, be welcomed easily into the company. But this idea of like the assumption that you need to have like this many years in the role before you can become that leader. That's a real big barrier. I think that we have to welcoming Mm -hmm. people in because I interviewed this woman on my podcast. She Mm -hmm. came into construction. She's only been in construction six years and she's the president of a road contracting company and they're in Canada and the U S it's a big company and it's interesting. She had zero construction industry experience. And I was so curious. I'm like, how are you doing this job? Like you don't have 20 years of, you know, industrial, that's very complicated work. Like road work is very complicated. She didn't have any of that experience. And literally all she had was transformational leadership skills. And she came into the company and the owners of the company recognized that they supported her. She was promoted probably like four times in six years. She's now the president. But I think hearing stories like that and realizing you actually don't need to know like how to build a road to mm-hmm. lead a road building company. So really allowing others to have that expertise is really what she relied on to be successful. And I think there's just this mentality that you need to have done the work in order to lead the work. And that's not really the case. Like technical skills, ability to manage a project, do the budget, do the work is a different skill set than leading a team. And and this is in any industry, right? It's like there's just this assumption like years in the role equal leadership potential. And it's a completely different skill set. So I think that's another reason why. Like we don't see women coming in very often kind of midway through their careers because they don't have those years of experience. I mean, do you think it's that women are thinking, oh, I don't have these technical skills that that the company of like the ultimate end user is receiving from this company? 
So I shouldn't even apply and bother to get involved. Or, or is it like that the company itself is like expecting everyone to have these skills? That's a really good question. And I think, again, it's like both, right? Because yeah. especially for women. So we did a survey last year. So we asked over 200 women a bunch of questions. And one answer what that we got was 44% of women in construction have never had a role model or a manager. So if you think about that, like almost half of people have never seen a woman working in their company Mm -hmm. more senior to them. So you think about regular women in society, right? They're not even, so 44% of women in the industry have never had that example. Think about regular women who are just doing a general career search. They've probably never seen or know of a Mm -hmm. woman that's worked their way up in that industry to even know it's an idea. So I think a lot of this happens unconsciously. It's not like you see the job description and you're like, okay, I don't check any of these boxes. No, I'm not going to apply. I think it's like you don't even see the possibility in your unconscious mind for when that job posting comes up to click on or like for someone even in your network to mention that kind of job for you because unconsciously, women just they don't it's there's just not enough registering. yeah and I think that's the reason why you know we, we want to start like at the earliest age possible like even in children's books making the characters more equitable and diverse it just comes down to our entire societal culture totally well okay well Andrea I could talk to you for literally hours about this <laughs> and I want to do that more on your podcast if I'm hoping to join you on your podcast one of these days on Ambition yes. Theory. We can talk some more about it. And I'd love to have you back on Hazard Girls as well. But can you tell us a little bit about you know where our listeners can find you? Where can they learn more about Ambition Theory, get involved with your, your coaching and your course? So we have a podcast. So it's called Ambition Theory, Women in Construction. Mm-hmm. You can listen on any podcasting platform. And you can go to our website, ambitiontheory.ca. We are working on getting the .com. So that should be, the .com will be up soon as well. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love meeting and connecting with new people. So it's Andrea Jansen on LinkedIn. And Ambition Theory is also on LinkedIn. Well, Andrea Jansen, certified executive coach, specializing in the construction industry and founder of Ambition Theory. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast today. It was great. I loved our discussion. I feel like we really got into some interesting areas and I hope we can continue the discussion at some point. Oh, Emily, this has been a joy. I am so excited that I got to meet you today. And I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Andrea. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.